You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series, One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America by Pastor Keith Haney. He's assistant to the president for missions, human care, and stewardship for LCMS Iowa District West. And the Bible study, One Nation Under God, available from Concordia Publishing House. We're uh, just thrilled to have the opportunity to to have this series with Pastor Haney. We'll share that with you in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Pastor Haney, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thanks for being in this series and helping us look at the issue of racial divides in America. Oh, I love this. It's a great having a discussion. So important for us in our time. It is. It's just a, a privilege to have this time with you to to look at this issue and also to look at God's word on this issue as well. Uh, last time we had a bit of an introduction and looked at how complex the issue of racial divide is in America. Today, digging into uh, what is session two in the Bible study. Oh, I shouldn't say digging into. We're really just getting a glimpse of what happens in the Bible study uh, so that uh, you all can get the Bible study and work through it in, on your own or in a group. It's a really helpful resource. So session two, who is the real enemy? Pastor, what happens when we use terms such as us and them or those people? What results from that? It depends on who you're talking to. (laughs) But if you're talking to African-Americans and they hear the term those people, a wall goes up because you are really kind of feeding into language that is divisive. And so you really got to be careful when you say those people, because it's like it excludes them from being part of you and it makes them a separate entity versus apart from you. What are some of the the misconceptions about those divisions that we face? I always tell people we're not all that different. We may be, we may be different on the outside, but at the heart, we all share common goals and common objectives in our life. We all want what's best for our families. We all want to be able to live a life that we have joy and happiness and contentment. And oftentimes we're seeking the same thing, but maybe we don't see that in each other. And so we tend to judge people with a with a different um, measuring stick than is really a reality in life. So we got to look at the fact that we probably all want the same thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the same place. We would all be different places. So we do want what's best for our families. And so we start with what, what we have in common. Why is it so easy to fall into those, uh, I don't know, different, the different sides, the, the us versus them mentality uh, when, we're, when we're talking about things that make us different, whether or not those things are real or perceived or good or bad or any of those things? Why is it so easy to fall into those, those different sides? Well, we have help. And we have help with that because Satan is the one kind of pushing us into those areas. When I did lesson two, I remember going back to my initial ministry in Milwaukee, and I was blessed to have on my staff a pastor from Nigeria. And actually several pastors from Nigeria were were part of the ministry there. And he taught me something that I instinctively knew, but didn't know how to verbalize. He said to me, you know, the Western church doesn't really talk about spiritual warfare. And it hit me like a time, like, yeah, we really don't. And he's like, in in the Eastern church, we are very much aware of Satan's presence among us and how Satan operates. And so when I started this Bible study, I was like, I really have to get to 
what's really driving race in our country? And it's Satan. If you, and if you study how Satan operates, Satan kind of comes in and he tells you half-truths. There's just enough truth there so that when you see it, you kind of go, yeah, that's true. So, for example, Satan will tell you that black people are scary and they're dangerous. And then you turn on the news and the first 10 minutes of the news are, what is it? It's what's happening in the news. So it's crime. It's violence. And when I was in Detroit, because Detroit was almost 80% African-American, the people who I saw being arrested in, in, in television and in trouble were African-American. So if Satan tells you, look, black people are dangerous and they're scary and they're committing all kinds of crimes and you turn your TV on and the first thing you see is three or four black people were arrested and there's a shooting, you start to go, you know what? Satan's right. That is what's wrong. Those people are dangerous and they're scary. And if, you, if you're also told that, you know, well, all white people are, are, are living in the suburbs and they have nice cars and they have white picket fences and you drive and you watch television and all the soap operas and the, the, the TV shows have this picture of white America and they have 2.5 kids. They have a white picket fence. They have a little dog named Spot and they're all happy and they're living in this wonderful utopia called the suburbs. And so you go, well, yeah, I guess they are holy and, and, and upright and righteous. And then there's those dangerous black people. And so, so we, Satan kind of feeds into our stereotypes and gets us to believe that what he's telling us is true. So what are the misconceptions about the solution to those divisions? The misconceptions are, you know, let's keep them separated. So let's keep black people on their end of town and it can just be dangerous. We can close our eyes till we won't go drive over there. And we'll stay over here in suburbia and we have our wonderful schools and our wonderful cars and our, our minivans. And if we just keep our distance from those people, then we'll be okay. And so, and you know, black people are taught if you go into the suburbs, you're going to get stopped by the police. So you don't want to go over there. So stay in your lane. And so we end up feeding into this separation syndrome that really does keep us apart from ever having a conversation. So if we ignore that it's th that Satan is the one at work, you know, some of the examples you gave earlier uh, and, and acknowledging, you know, we, we probably normally wouldn't acknowledge that that was spiritual warfare or that was Satan at work or that was, that was demonic, uh, at uh, something demonic at work. Uh, we might not acknowledge it. We would just probably write it off as, uh, well, we'd just blame the other person or, or blame circumstances or bad luck or something like that, wouldn't we? Right, exactly. I mean, if and, and I loved when I did the Bible study, studying how Satan operated in Genesis. Because he goes to Eve and he says, hey, eat this fruit from this tree in the center of the garden. It's good for you. And Eve said, no, no, God said we can't do that. We can't even touch it. If we touch it, we will die. And, and what's Satan come back with? Well, you're not going to die. God just didn't want you to be as aware of things as he was. So if, if you touch this fruit, then you'll be just like God, and you'll know everything that God knows, and surely you won't die. So what does she do? She touches the fruit and goes, huh, I didn't die. And he says, well, go ahead, no, just eat it. And so she eats it and goes, hey, I am like God. I do understand good and evil. But Satan didn't tell her the whole story. And so when she discovers later on that now she's ashamed 
and now sin has been brought into the world. It's like you've been you've been given this bait and switch. It's like you told me I would be like God, but you didn't tell me that now death came with that and sin came with that. And so Satan draws us in with this perception that if you just listen to me, won't your life be better? And then you find out that sin's taken you farther than you want to go and kept you longer than you want to stay, as someone once said. And so he draws us into this his reality without telling us the entire story and the consequences of, of our actions by believing his story. And Genesis isn't the only record we have of uh, Satan at work tempting uh, humans, but we, we see this again in Job, right? Yeah, and Job is another one where, you know, he asks God, can I have Job for a while and just test him? Because I think the reason that Job is loyalty is because you protect Job. You put a hedge around Job. Let me tear down all of Job's protections and see if he won't curse you and die. And he gets Job probably to the point of doing that when Job demands an audience with God. And, and I love that because in the Hebrew, when God honors Job's request for that audience, he tells Job, okay, you stand like a man. And he says in the Hebrew, take up your, your tunic or your, 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 your skirt there, your out of garments and tuck into the front of your belt and stand ready at attention because I'm going to come and answer your, your request. And so God shows up and Job is going to question God, but then God says, no, 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 I'm going to question you. And he goes and, and kind of puts Job in his place and says, were you there at the beginning of the creation of the world to understand at all the way, the intricacies of what creation was and how I'm present and all of that. And Job began to understand that he doesn't really can't get the mind of God. And for us to understand that we don't understand all the situations in our world, but God does. And God is not absent, but God is present in all of this. Even in the race riots, God is present. And we have to figure out what is God doing here? What is God trying to teach us? What is God trying to tell us in all of this? And what should our response be to this? I would wish we could have stepped back and go, we saw the George Floyd thing. What is God telling us to do as a people of God? How can we respond? How can we react? How can we notice our brother who we may not have noticed before, but the entire world in America, I should say, noticed the George, well, actually the whole world, because I remember even London, everybody saw that video and everybody responded to it and everybody had a reaction to it. Wouldn't it have been great if the church stood up and said, here's how we respond. Here's what God wants us to do. Here's the reaction that the body of Christ will do in reaction to what we just saw. How can we come alongside our brothers and sisters in those communities? And how can we be a blessing to them? How can we use the gifts and the talents and the resources that God has given us so that there's no more George Floyd incidences, that we, we are walking alongside people who are hurting and we care for those who are who are downtrodden, and we truly live out the high calling of our faith. How has uh, the presence of social media and all of this, and and uh, how quickly things spread now? Uh, you mentioned that the the George Floyd video uh, was a world a, a global thing because of of how easily that information was accessed. How has that uh, that ease of information and, and and social media, I guess, in general, and specifically, influenced these divisions or these or lack of conversation, maybe either for better or worse? 
for worse, it allows people who maybe would not speak out to post a meme or something that only incites more anger and more violence. Uh, for those who are trying to seek answers, it allows people to take sides and never really answer the question. On the positive side, there have been people who have tried to really pour into this and go, I want to know more. I want to know what I can do. And it has created some conversation for some. But social media is probably not the place to have a conversation. And so one of I, I put on Facebook, one of my policies is, if you think it's funny, laugh and walk away from your computer and don't post it. <laughs> because chances are it's only funny to you. And, and it's, it's probably more harmful to other people than it is helpful to most people. We have more to talk about with Pastor Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America from Concordia Publishing House. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series with Pastor Keith Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America from Concordia Publishing House. We're looking at the the subject of the uh, who is the real enemy in session two of the Bible study with Pastor Haney. Pastor, how effective is Satan at dividing people? We don't really talk about the work of Satan much, uh, as you pointed out earlier in the first segment here in in Western culture. We don't really talk about the the work of Satan much, but how effective is he at dividing people? Have you ever been to a church meeting that deteriorated really quickly? (laughs) (laughs) That shouldn't be funny, but it is. (laughs) Because I I always told my, my leadership, I'm going, you do realize we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against our brother we disagree with in this meeting that we're having. We're fighting against Satan because Satan does not want the church to be effective at its ministry. So I would always remind them that when we're in the middle of a conflict in our congregation, we have to stop looking at hear, hear him or hear her as the enemy, but realize that Satan is creating a tension and a, uh, a powder keg even in our own congregations. And we see that fighting and we go, what are we arguing about? We're arguing about the color of the carpet. Is that really kingdom work that we're fighting about? <laughs> we're fighting about who gets the kitchen on what day. And, and so Satan takes us and says, if we get them fighting about the color of the carpet, they're not discussing how to do ministry. They're not talking about how to reach the lost people outside their walls. If we get them angry and walk away frustrated, we got them talking about money and what we can't do because we don't have the resources we don't have them trusting in God. And so I, I talk about in the church, we got to be careful that we're not fighting with our brothers and sisters, but Satan is trying to make us fight with each other and cause division 
and tension and anger. And you see it by, by James talking about the church in, in the book of James and was like, look at what was going on. It, it was pride. It was it was resentment and people were willing to 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 die to get their way. And I'm like, this is just not from God. So how do we step back and go, why am I acting like this? Why do I look at a sister who I've spent so many years and so many committees with, why am I ready to to walk away from our, our relationship to get my way? And so Satan works really effectively in the church. How does how does Satan use these distractions really to to keep us from uh, coming together on on an even playing field or, or coming to the table and and talking about uh, the things that we really should be talking about? Well, I'll I'll give you an example from this whole race issue. I've talked to people who said we want to do your Bible study, but we're afraid that this will cause people to leave our church. I even had one pastor say. Pastor, the church should not be talking about race. They're going to come and they're going to burn down our building if we talk about race or we get involved in a community. Let's just pretend it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So let's just walk away and not talk about racial reconciliation at all. And I'm going, is that really what God called us to be? I don't remember the verse where God said, be timid and fearful. I'm pretty sure he said, be bold and courageous. (laughs) And so... Our, our faith calls us to be bold and courageous, to stand on the foundations of God and realize that, guess what? The world may not like you because of your witness, because your words are a stumbling block to those who are not in Christ. And our words are the only words that, that the world can get and hear from us that will bring about healing. One of the most frustrating things that I see in this whole racial divide discussion is people using half the words of the church. I'll hear people say, white people need to repent of their sins from 200 years ago. And then the result of that repentance is, now it's called for retribution and um, and reparations. I'm like, no, repentance doesn't lead us to revenge. Repentance leads us to reconciliation. The church has the second half of that discussion. If we talk about repentance of our sins, first of all, it's all of us repenting of our sins because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the results of that repentance is reconciliation. How do we now bring back a healing and reconciliation among nations? And that's what's missing in this discussion. So Satan will go, yeah, let's get them talking about repentance, but not for the fact of healing their rift, but for making their rift deeper. And what revenge and retribution and reparations does is it makes the divide deeper because you build into that resentment and anger and frustration. And so we never really get to how do we reconcile and move forward together as people of God. So Satan is effective at dividing people. It's dividing. He's effective at dividing the church. He's effective at dividing us in our communities as well. Uh, are we in a battle? Is this a battle, Pastor? Every night I watch television, I go, "This is a battle," <laughs> because <laughs> you look at the anger, you look at the emotions, you look at the fearfulness. Um, and people are just like, "I'm, I'm tired," and you can see people just exhausted by all of this and they're ready to give up. And so 
Satan has now pushed us to the to the very edges of our limitations in all of this. And people are ready to walk away from the conversation and never go down that path again. So he is winning in that he has worn us down. We are frustrated. We are angry. We are tired. We are weary. And we don't see an end in sight. We don't see victory. And we're asking ourselves, how do we win in all of this? And we don't see a pathway forward. How does God equip us to to fight this battle in order to move forward and, and to love our brothers and sisters how we should? He reminds us in Ephesians 6, and I talk about this in my Bible study, that we have to use the right weapons. And we have to equip ourselves with the helmet of salvation, the sword of, of faith, uh, and the shield of, of righteousness. So we, we have to clothe ourselves with the, with the instruments of God and realize that we're not fighting against black versus white, but we're fighting against the enemy and how the enemy operates. And, and how we fight hatred is we fight it with love. We have to pour into people. We have to pour into the situation. We have to love people and come alongside them and show them the love of God. The, what people are really desiring in the city is, does someone even notice my situation? Does anyone even care? And if no one cares and is hopeless, then why am I trying so hard? So you see that frustration. We have to point people to hope, point people to the gospel. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in, our, in those communities, in those households, in those families. We have to just pour love into people. So we don't live as people without hope. We are people with hope and in that that then impacts our daily vocations and and even may shape what our daily vocations look like, maybe change what our daily vocations look like. Right. And once you give people hope, you give them something to look forward to. When you have a hopeful hopeful outlook on life, you're ready to get out of bed in the morning. You want to go tackle the world. You want to go see what God has, has in mind for you for the day. If you get out of bed and you go, this is another pointless, hopeless day, mm-hmm. you, you wake up defeated. So how do we give people that sense of, I'm excited about what God's going to do today in my life. And imagine people in the places we're talking about now, waking up with a sense of hopefulness, going, God's going to do something great today. And I can't wait to see what that is. Then you're not, you're not out there on the streets going, well, let me burn down this guy's business. You're out there going, how can I go support his business? How can I maybe get a business like his? You know, maybe I can talk to this guy and figure out, well, what did you do to, de- to develop this business model where you had this store or this, this product and people coming alongside saying, well, here's how you do it. And guess what? I'll help you do it. I'll walk alongside you. I'll coach you in it. Like Jesus did with the disciples. We don't understand your message, Lord. You have to give us more. And it's like, let me walk alongside you. Let me mentor you. Let me disciple you. Imagine Christians walking alongside people in, in those urban areas and saying, let me disciple you. Let me show you how I got what I got. And in the process, you're going to ask the question, why do you care? Why are you here? And for those who are not believers, it's a great chance then to go, I'm here and I'm helping you because the love of Christ compels me. And I want to be faithful to my calling and faithful to the gifts and the blessings that God has given me. So we know who the real enemy is. The real enemy is Satan here. God equips us for the battle. How does he 
how does he equip us to do this battle? What does he, um, uh, yeah, how does he equip us? <laughs> well, he's blessed us with resources. He's blessed us with knowledge. He's blessed us with the gospel. And we know that the word of God doesn't return void. So as we pour into people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we know it has impact in their lives and the lives of their family. You can change generations. You can change etern eternities by pouring into people's lives the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can change their daily life by pouring into their lives with the knowledge and the resources that we have been blessed with as people of God to share with the world. God gave us things as stewards to share with those who are in need. Uh, and so we can do that in a variety of ways by giving our time, our talents, and our treasures to the kingdom and watch God do the rest. So the word of God uh, it, it equips us. It, it, it even it, it changes our identity, who we are uh, in Christ, that word of God that we are given to bring into uh, these relationships with our neighbors it can can change not only um, not only equip us but also change who we are. Right, Pastor. We are just about out of time. What are we going to look forward to in session three in One Nation Under God? We talk about in session three, really kind of looking at um, how can I help, and studying a little bit about the Good Samaritan because there are some real lessons there of. What does it mean to be compassionate? Because to me, compassion is two things. It is action plus mercy. Um, and so it, it moves you to do something, is what, what it should do. And that's, you saw that in the Good Samaritan story. Pastor Keith Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America, available from Concordia Publishing House. He's also assistant to the President for Missions, Human Care, and Stewardship for LCMS Iowa District West. Pastor Haney, thanks for being our guest on the Coffee Hour in this series. It's my pleasure. Looking forward to what God does next. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.